0: Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. And welcome to my study. Please come in and have a seat. All the books around you are your, those used as sources for our show, and we will be sharing with you tonight some interesting selections from one of these volumes. Assisted as always by the housekeeper of this estate and co-host of this show, Missus Carswell.
1: Hello. It's
0: good to have you back.
1: You don't have to keep saying
0: that. But I mean it. I I realize how traumatic the Strix incident was, uh, and. Honestly, I wasn't sure you'd be coming back when I saw your empty room. You
1: should have known I wouldn't leave my bees. I would have moved the hives and things in my room. I knew I just needed some time away with
0: Mother. Fair enough. And um, though I hate to open any wounds, uh, but uh, for listeners who missed the episode, there was an incident with the owl, uh, Strix. We tried to record out in the solarium two weeks ago, and it didn't go well. Uh, I'm not really sure even what to call it. Maybe not an attack, but the bird did fly at you. Yes. Well, maybe not an attack, but I I would say it was aggressive. I don't want to minimize it. I'm, I'm just glad she didn't actually touch you.
1: I know, I know you keep saying that. She didn't hurt me. She can't hurt me. And she never will.
0: Well... That's good. Certainly. uh, If we're careful and... uh, Didn't you see these? Your earrings? Yes. I did notice you were wearing them when you came back. I haven't seen you wear earrings before. I've
1: never worn earrings before, but these were a gift. From Mother.
0: Oh, they look nice. Thank you. So, are they... Did you get your ears pierced
1: or something? Mother pierced them. Oh, I know people usually go somewhere to have it done, but she wanted us to share the experience. So she did it for me, at our home.
0: Oh. Uh, well, uh, did it hurt?
1: Yes, it, it did, physically, but the real experience was in my mind. I was terrified, absolutely terrified. And then there was the pain, and then when it was over, a rush of other feelings...
0: Relief, I'm sure. I don't know if you would
1: have ever had a feeling like this.
0: Um, I've never had my ears pierced. And I'm
1: not sure how I could describe it to you. I guess, a type of peace. I'm happy now. Things aren't like I thought they would be. Probably not like you thought they would be either.
0: No, not at all, really. Wait, are those owls? They're so sm- small, I didn't notice at first, but they're owls.
1: Yes, they're owls.
0: Well, and this is not what I expected, as you said, but I do like them.
1: Thank you. I'll be wearing them the rest of my life. I guess I'll be buried in them.
0: Oh. Well, good. Now, not about you dying. I mean, we all do die, but I'm, I'm glad you... Like them that much?
1: Mother had them for me when I got there. She got them even before we talked on the phone. She said she had a dream, and she knew I would need them.
0: Oh. Well, very nice owls.
1: I'm happy you like them. We can start the show now if you want.
0: Yes, that, that's a good idea. We can start the show. Um. So, this will be... Episode 111, Malignant Vapors. I am your host, Al Reidenour, and this show, Bone and Sickle, examines the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started the show as a way to further explore this area of intersection after writing my book. The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas and am currently working on a related volume. Um, Making time for that work, by the way, accounts for our slight and uh, temporary format change. In case you were wondering, Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors who receive monthly rewards including not one, but two bonus episodes. And I'll have more on all that at the end of our show. For tonight's show, I'll be reading again from a book published in London in 1825, a volume entitled The Terrific Register, or Records of Crimes, Judgments, Providences, and Calamities. The episode name, by the way, comes from one of the included sections, headed malignant vapor. first just judgments of god upon persecutors an old author relating the various punishments which men notorious for their misdeeds endured before death gives the following dreadful relation about the year 1530 in provence in france there was a cruel wretch of a monk of a devilish disposition called Jean de Roma, who obtained a commission to examine those that were suspected to be Waldensians or Lutherans. Among the most horrible and grievous torments, there was one that seemed to be a masterpiece of cruelty, which he, with the greatest delight, commonly put in practice upon those poor people who'd happened to fall into his hands. He filled boots with boiling grease and put them upon their legs, tying them backwards of a form, with their legs hanging down over a stone fire, and so he examined them. Thus did this monster of iniquity torment many good men and afterwards put them to death. Francis, king of France, being informed of his wicked and cruel proceedings, sent letters to the Parliament of Provence that he should be apprehended and proceeded against, according to law. But this wretch, having privately received notice thereof, fled to Avignon. But shortly after he, who had so shamefully spoiled others, was deprived himself of all by those in his own house, and shortly after he fell sick of a most horrible disease, which was strange and unknown to any physician. So extreme were the pains with which he was vexed and tormented in his body, that not any medicine could give him ease for one moment, neither could any person stop near him. So great was the stench that issued from his body, therefore he was carried to a hospital there to be kept, but the stench so increased that no one could be found hardy enough to approach him. Neither was he himself able to abide the horrid scent. His body, not only being full of ulcers and sores, but it was also swarming with vermin, and so rotten that the flesh fell away from the bones by pieces. While he was in these torments and anguish, he screamed out many times and cried, Oh, who will deliver me? Who will kill me and put an end to the intolerable pains which I now suffer for the evils and oppressions to those innocent men? He cried many times for somebody to put an end to his existence but had not the power to do it himself. In these dreadful torments and fearful despair this horrid blasphemer and cruel murderer most miserably ended his unhappy days cursing life as a spectacle to all persecutors receiving the reward of his cruelties by the just judgment of God. When he was dead there was no person that could or would come near to bury him, but a young novice, newly come to his order, instead of a more honorable sepulchre, caught hold of his offensive carcass with a hook and dragged him into a hole close by which had been prepared for him. He deserved it. Let's see. Yes. Uh, a remarkable dwarf. Buffon, in his last volume of Natural History, gives the following account of a dwarf who was kept in the palace of the King of Poland. The parents of the dwarf, says he, were strong and healthy peasants who affirmed that at the time of his birth he scarcely weighed a pound and a quarter. It is not known what were then his dimensions, but one may judge they were very small, as he was presented upon a plate to be baptized, and for a long time had a wooden shoe, For his bed. His mouth, though well proportioned to the rest of his body, was not large enough to admit the nipple of the mother, and he was suckled therefore by a goat, and she performed the part of a nurse admirably well. When six months old he had the smallpox and recovered without any other assistance than the care of the mother and the milk of the goat. At the age of 18 months he could articulate some words without assistance, A pair of shoes were then made for him which were no more than an inch and a half in length. He was attacked by several diseases but there were no marks of any other diseases on the skin besides the smallpox. He was now six years of age. Hitherto his food had been garden stuff, bacon and potatoes. His height was about 15 inches and he did not weigh more than 13 pounds. His person was agreeable and well proportioned. He was in perfect health but there was little appearance of intellect. At this time, the king of Poland ordered him to Lunville and gave him the name of Bebe and kept him in his palace. Bebe thus exchanged the condition of a peasant for the luxuries of a court, but he experienced no change either in his body or mind. He had no sense of religion, was capable of reasoning, could learn neither music nor dancing, was susceptible however to passions, particularly anger, jealousy, and lust. When 16 years old he was only 21 inches in height, he was still healthy and well proportioned, but at this time puberty produced too great an effect on the organs of generation. His strength began to decrease, the spine became crooked, the head fell forwards, The legs were enfeebled, one shoulder blade projected, the nose was greatly enlarged. Bebe lost his gaiety and became an invalid. And yet his stature was increased four inches in the four succeeding years. The Comte de Teuzon foretold that this dwarf would die of old age before he was thirty. And in effect, so it was, for at twenty-one he was shrunk and decrepit. And at 22, it was with difficulty he could make a hundred steps successively. In his 23rd year, he was attacked with a slight fever and fell into a kind of lethargy. He had some intervals, but spoke with great difficulty. For the five last days, his ideas seemed to be more clear than when he was in health. This disease soon proved fatal. At the time of his death, he measured 33 inches. Barbarous gratitude When the house of a Greek interpreter at Pera in the suburb of Constantinople caught fire, the owner had saved nearly all his property by the assistance of a few Janissaries. But more anxious no doubt for his money than his family, he had forgotten an infant in his cradle till everything was on fire. The father believed that his child had perished when on a sudden a large dog which he kept to guard his dwelling emerged from the flames, bearing the little innocent creature suspended by its linen in its mouth. They reached toward the dog to take the child, but he would not abandon it, and eluding their efforts, he ran through a number of streets till he reached the house of an intimate friend of his master's, where he deposited the precious burden and remained till the door was opened to receive it. Can you imagine what was the reward of this faithful and generous servant? The owner strove to recompense him, but the mode that he devised was equally absurd, afflicting, and incredible. He had him served up at his table at a splendid feast, which he gave on the occasion. My dog, said he, has behaved too well to be the food of worms. Men only deserve to eat him. And as for you, looking at his friends, you cannot but gain by it. It will render you more benevolent. Huh. Not how I would handle it. Okay. The uh, next one Plagues of Egypt. The following dreadful account of the plagues of Egypt is extracted from Edward Daniel Clark's travels in Europe, Asia, and Africa. The mercury in Fahrenheit's thermometer seemed at this point fixed. It remained at 90 degrees for several days without the smallest perceptible change. Almost every European suffered an inflammation of the eyes. Many were troubled with cutaneous disorders. The prickly heat was very common. This was attributed to drinking the muddy water of the Nile, the inhabitants having no other. Their mode of purifying it, in a certain degree, is by rubbing the inside of the water vessels with bruised almonds. This precipitates a portion of the mud, but it is never quite clear. Many persons were afflicted with sores upon the skin, which were called boils of the Nile, and dysenterical complaints were universal. A singular species of lizard made its appearance in every chamber, having circular membranes at the extremes of its feet, which gave it such tenacity that it crawled upon panes of glass or upon the surfaces of pendant mirrors. This revolting sight was common to every apartment, whether in the houses of the rich or the poor. And at the same time, such a plague of flies covered all things over with their swarms that it was impossible to eat without hiring persons to stand by every table with feathers or flappers to drive them away. Liquor could not be poured into glasses. The mode of drinking was by keeping the mouth of every bottle covered until the moment it was applied to the lips and instantly covering it with the palm of the hand when removing it to offer to anyone else. The utmost attention to cleanliness by a frequent change of every article of wearing apparel could not repel the attacks of the swarms of vermin which seemed to infest even the air of the place. A gentleman made his appearance before a party he had invited to dinner, completely covered with lice. The only explanation he could give as to the cause was that he had sat for a short time in one of the boats upon the canal. Malignant Vapor The following melancholy event which was caused by a fatal vapor is narrated by Dr. Comer and may be relied upon as a fact. As some persons were digging in a cellar at Paris for supposed hidden treasures, the maid went down to call up her master and found them all dead, but in their working postures and seemingly intent on their several offices, one digging another shoveling away the earth, etc. The wife of one of them was sat down by the side of a hopper, leaning her head on her arm, as if weary and thoughtful. All of them, in short, appeared in their natural postures and actions, with their eyes wide open, but as stiff as statues and as cold as clay. Extraordinary Birth About the beginning of February 1764, a girl was born near Toulon in France whose whole face resembled a hare, excepting her ears. She was otherwise fair and well-shaped. Her mother declares that at the beginning of pregnancy, she had a strong inclination to eat the raw heart of a hare which her husband brought home one day, but Could not prevail with herself to make known her desires. Uh, Another very remarkable fact comes authenticated from the same quarter. The wife of a considerable merchant who constantly attended mass and used to give charity to a poor man who had lost his right arm one day gave birth to a son who also lacked his right hand, which the mother attributed to the impression the maimed appearance of the man made upon her mind. But what is still more remarkable, this son is grown to maturity, married, and has now a son who, without any such impression, was born without a hand. How will the naturalists account for this phenomenon? I don't know. I think this this will be our last one. The effects... Of fear. I once read a most horrible story of some French travelers who attempted to explore the vaults of the Egyptian pyramids which revived some of those terrifying obstructions we sometimes meet with in disturbed dreams. These persons had already traversed an extensive labyrinth of chambers and passages and were on their return and had arrived at the most difficult part of it, a very long and Winding passage forming a communication between two chambers. Its opening was narrow and low, the ruggedness of the floor, sides, and roof rendering their progress slow and laborious, and these difficulties increased rapidly as they advanced. The torch with which they had entered became useless from the impossibility of holding it upright as the passage diminished its height. Both its height and width at length, however, became so much contracted that the party was compelled to crawl on their bellies. Their wandering in these interminable passages, for such in their fatigue of body and mind they deemed to be, seemed to be endless. Their alarm was already great and their patience exhausted when the headmost of the party cried out that he could discern the light at the end of the passage at a considerable distance ahead, but that he could not advance any farther, and that in his effort to press on in hopes to surmount the obstacle without complaining, he had squeezed himself so far into the reduced opening that he now no longer had sufficient strength even to recede. The situation of the party may be easily imagined. Their terror was beyond direction or advice, while their leader, whether from terror or the natural effect of his situation, swelled so that if it were before difficult, it was now impossible for him to stir from the spot he thus miserably occupied. One of the party at this dreadful and critical moment, proposed in the intense selfishness to which the feeling of vital danger reduces all, as the only means of escape from this horrible confinement, This living grave was to cut in pieces the wretched being who formed the obstruction and clear it by dragging the dismembered carcass piecemeal past them. He heard this dreadful proposal and contracting himself with agony at the idea of his death was reduced by a strong muscular spasm to his usual dimensions and was dragged out, affording room for the party to squeeze themselves over his prostrate body. The unhappy creature was suffocated in the effort and was left behind the corpse. And now a bit of poetry as we close our show with Carswell's Corner.
1: Shel Silverstein was a humorous poet, cartoonist, and singer-songwriter, active in America of the 1960s, 70s, and early 80s. Some listeners may know his children's book, The Giving Tree, about a questionable relationship between a boy and his tree, or his poetry collections, Where the Sidewalk Ends and A Light in the Attic. He also wrote Uncle Shelby's A.B.Z. book, his first exploration into the genre of children's literature, though it was actually more of a wicked satire on what might be expected in a book for kids. Tonight's poem is called Me. I have nothing to put in my stew, you see, not a bone or a bean or a black-eyed pea, so I'll just climb in the pot to see if I can make a stew out of me. I'll put in some pepper and salt and I'll sit in a bubbling water. I won't scream a bit. I'll sing while I simmer. I'll smile while I'm stewing. I'll taste myself often to see how I'm doing. I'll stir me around with this big wooden spoon and serve myself up at a quarter to noon. So bring your stew bowls, you gobblers and snaggers. Farewell. I hope you enjoy me with crackers.
0: I hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you might have the opportunity to leave a review if you do. As promised, at the top of the show, I'd like to provide a bit more on the rewards of joining Bone & Sickle as via Patreon. A monthly pledge of $2 provides you access to the hundreds of posts on our show blog in which I share curious tidbits from history, folklore, and some films related to the general subject matter. Donating a mere $4 or more monthly brings you not one, but two short extra episodes. Other rewards include downloads of the show's soundscapes heard under the narration, the show scripts, my Krampus book, various t-shirt and mug options, the bone and sickle candle, and unique and handcrafted mystery kits. Pledges start at $1 a month. And every little bit helps keep this show streaming. We really would benefit from a little additional support, as I have only one new patron to thank since the last show. And so, an extra big thank you to Earl Jansen for signing up. Bone and Sickle is written and produced by me, Al Reidenour. Business Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com.